This is Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. We bring you the latest and best strategies, tactics, and information to help employers boost their bottom lines by investing in healthy and engaged workforces that deliver real ROI. Welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Purcell. And I'm Stephen Van Yoder. We're the co-founders of the Returns on Wellbeing Institute. The Foundation for Mental Health is formed during childhood. When children have positive experiences, it contributes to good mental well-being in adulthood. But when children experience trauma, it can lead to lifelong challenges, including substance abuse, anxiety disorders, depression, and other debilitating mental health conditions. Adverse childhood experiences, or, no, or also known as ACEs, are stressful events that occur before age 18 that can have negative and lasting effects through adulthood. ACE events include divorce, psychological, sexual, and physical abuse, and caregiver mental illness. According to a study by Kaiser Permanente and the Center for Disease Control, CDC, 64% of people in the United States have at least one ACE, which, can, which increases their risk for mental illness, physical health issues, and even premature death. ACEs contribute significantly to workplace absenteeism, healthcare costs, and mental illness. As part of a comprehensive employee mental health effort, employers must first understand and then help employees address untreated childhood trauma that's detrimental to their current mental well-being and can lead to mental health issues, chronic illness, and poor workplace performance. And here to discuss this today is Diana Bishop, a senior learning consultant and certified health and wellness coach for Kaiser Permanente San Diego. Diana will help us understand why employers must address stigma around employee mental health and how well-being programs can include childhood trauma as part of their mental health initiatives. So Diana, thank you for being here on today's podcast. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's uh, wonderful to be with you both. Thank you. Talk about the role of childhood experiences and you know social determinants that come to play in childhood that play a role in shaping human health I, I think the most important thing to really understand is that um, our, our lives are complicated and ch childhood is a, it, such a fundamental time in uh, development of not just phys physical development, but also uh, mental and emotional um, uh, development. So the understanding that we now have is that when children witness or have it done to them, have uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse done to them before the age of 18, it does have an effect on their brain development and their ability to function in later life. And so I think the, the good news here is that we do now have the science that helps explain why there is this direct correlation between how one was mm -hmm. raised and, and how it affects them in adulthood. Adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, uh, what is their relation to mental health? So there are specifically 10 in the original study, 10 questions that help identify the relationship between those events and risk of chronic disease in later life. The higher the ACE score, obviously, then the higher uh, the risk for as uh, in, in the introduction that the, we would have risk for coronary artery disease, type two diabetes, suicide, and so on. 
So understanding the impact of where you live, financial um, restraints, educational limitations, and so on, all of those Mm -hmm. come into play in that same way because of what's called toxic stress. Is this a combination of um, damage that's done, uh, physiological damage that's done to people when they're young or uh, all the way through their teenage years uh, and or a combination of what it predisposes them to, let's say, behaviorally, uh, more more prone to substance abuse or, or different things that could affect their physical health? It's absolutely the combination of, of both. So we do know that obviously there, now we know the neuroscience that we can understand why that the adrenaline and and cortisol, those being the most profound uh, stress hormones, do change uh, neurotransmission. But we do know, obviously, we learn from those around us. And so if our culture, uh, our neighborhoods, our family life is reflecting certain behaviors, obviously that helps us understand, for better or worse, how we're supposed to respond in kind. How, in general, do ACEs affect adults in their everyday functioning and their experience of life? And what does it feel like or how might it feel uh, for people that are carrying around this childhood trauma into their adult years? These things become uh, unconscious over time. So for the majority of people, why they never get the proper treatment is they'd have no clue really what's happening underneath it all. So what happens is there isn't a clear... um, a clear connection on a conscious level, but what it does is it embeds itself somatically in our body. So typically we'll see with adults, um, back problems, um, addiction issues, and so on. It it will, it will seep out through the body because people are responding to physical pain. They don't understand there's actually the origin is of an emotional component. Part of what this is about is getting adults who have ACEs to have an aha moment and understand this is embedded somehow within their psyche? Absolutely. And that's been the most rewarding part of my job is Hmm. working on the front line with employees. I actually have the great good fortune of coaching individually uh, in the employer space and indeed will have people come to me wanting to initially work on weight management or um, nutrition, Mm -hmm. that kind of But when I have conversation with them uh, in a trauma-informed way, come to always, uh, there's there's always something that helps us understand. And my role is to help translate that experience so that they can begin to understand where they're, what they're, what they're up against and how they can help themselves. Diana, tell us how, how what you've done at Kaiser and your personal background led you to focus on ACEs. Oh, I was actually hired by Dr. Vincent Felitti, who is one of the principal investigators of the study, back uh, right after he uh, started the study in, in 1995 and, and published uh, in with the Centers for Disease Control. And he hired, I actually, my background is as a drama therapist. He hired me as a contracted employee to do an intervention with, with folks. And then as time went on, I was hired full time to work in the weight management program with adults and teenagers. Diana, what is drama therapy? So drama therapy is actually uh, part of the creative art therapy spectrum, if you will, in the same uh, educational class as uh, psychotherapy. 
do we utilize creative means because so much of what is troubling people is unconscious. So we use uh, creative means to help storytell, to bring words and expression to things that had no words before. Why was Kaiser interested in this? Kaiser's a health insurer, right? So Dr. Flitty uh, was in charge of what was called at the time health appraisal, and it was uh, for many, many years the largest single site uh, for physicals in the world. We saw over 55,000 members in a year, and he began to see these trends with chronic diseases. The most important question that led to this study had to do with the fact he would ask his uh, obese patients to identify when they remember starting to gain weight in their in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then he asked, why was it that year? Why was it not the year before or the year after? And then that's when all of this information started to come out. We found uh, his first uh, patient that he asked this question, he, we found out had a sexual uh, a history of sexual abuse. And that was when they were able to key in on when they started to to gain weight as, as a pr- protective measure. Why is Kaiser interested? They're, they're a health insurer. Hmm? Initially, it was to see if we could come up with a stronger response to this issue that we were coming up with. But mm-hmm. it was interesting, I will tell you, that um, Dr. Felitti came up against a lot of obstacles after that study came out. And indeed, health appraisal uh, stopped being the way it was. They they decided to let go of that the, that function, and and also my creative art therapy team was disbanded over time. So what the story is initially about is is finding this information, but then going up against what everybody is going. So Kaiser was unique in that it started this study, but it it struggled with the same things everyone seems to struggle with, which is the fear of how this will be taken. Now we're back at a new place. So Kaiser has um, resupported the ACEs study and indeed is um, now embedding it in our um, uh, education of our physicians and our chronic disease management team. ACEs in the workforce. Uh, I, I walk around the office and I see 50 people, uh, how many of them have serious levels of ACEs in their lives that they're carrying around with them today? Um, a third struggle for sure with mm-hmm. uh, an ACE score of, of four or higher. So we really do know that um, this is much more prominent than people want to address. Uh, uh, people who have ACEs who struggle mentally and emotionally uh, the impact on their lives and work can be pretty significant, can it? In the 2004 study um, that was conducted to, which was just in a, a continual evolution of, of the initial ACE study, what they did find uh, with 9,633 members, they were asked specific questions about work performance. And it had to do with having serious job problems, financial problems, and absenteeism. And really what they found was that there was, again, dependent on how many ACEs uh, or the ACE score, the higher that that work indicate, those work indicators were. So they really had to do with interpersonal problems, emotional distress, somatic symptoms, and substance abuse. It's the ACE scorecard, is that correct, the, to, to go and take the various questions and learn your ACE score? 
Right. If you can go to the uh, CDC and um, there is a wonderful actual full training kit there for employers to utilize. It's absolutely free. Mm -hmm. There's also a, a great one called Got Your Ace Score, and it's through acestohigh.com is a really great way to, to get started as well. What is it? How does it work? How long does it take? What kind of questions do they ask? Sure. It, it, it takes... It, it, just of 10 minutes. It's a t the, the initial questionnaire, which has changed over the years, depending on what environment it's being used for, is uh, the core questions are 10 questions. And it will ask you um, questions based on from zero to 18. Were you witness mm -hmm. of domestic violence? Did anyone in your home utilize substances? Did anybody in your home uh, experience uh, legal issues or were inca incarcerated, um, and so on. So it really has to do with the functioning or the dysfunction of the home between 0 and 18. So I think the important message when people are going to do their A score is mm -hmm. not to see it as a message of doom, which would be easily misunderstood if you were taking it. It's actually a message of understanding and hope. It when the person takes that next step to understand the science behind it, that's the key part, um, right. then, then there's positive uh, movement forward. If you take it in isolation, it kind of, it's, it's a bit overwhelming. And to your point, the questions are personal, extremely personal, and areas that people don't really want to go back to. But I think the important thing is I wouldn't necessarily send people just to go out to their ACE score and do that without it being in context of all the resources that need to be understood in that, that whole process. How do employers handle this issue? So our recommendation initially is now, especially with the pandemic, and there is a wonderful movement forward with mental health as initiatives, is to understand what the ACE, ACE study is um, and find out for themselves um, how, again, I think really with mental health is when we relate to one another, we're able to create that community that is um creating psychological safety that promotes emotional well-being overall. So to become informed on ACEs and what it means to them, and then getting the resources to train your staff when the time is, is good for that to happen for the, the staff, especially um, around this whole pandemic, I think we're going to find that that conversation is easier to have um, and then decide on a messaging of why we care so you don't just kind of move out into this and say okay we now have uh, you know the ceo now knows about aces and and is really excited about the research let's do something we have to really understand that it needs to be trauma-informed and in the message is why we care i'm an employee at your company and i've been sexually abused as a child uh, I don't want everybody else to know about this. How in the context of an employment situation does somebody handle this? I don't want to sit down with my manager and disclose this. So what, what does the employer do to get around that issue? The employer's responsibility to have the resources and to have that be as a, a general overarching conversation. We don't need to get into the nitty gritty for that employee to get the help. Where, where do managers fit in on this? 
Well, I, I fully believe that managers are uh, are part of what would be the wellness initiative for the or, or the employee um, health structure within the organization and, and the value of of taking care of employees uh, on a full circle, you know, in first full circle. So really understanding that it's part of their training uh, as managers to know what the resources are for all employees and for themselves. I think interestingly enough, again, when managers and HR people have not done the work themselves, have not used the resources, it becomes a breakdown. We wanna encourage employees to, to use these things and not just shove the information at them and say, go do it on your own. It sounds like there's more subtle things here that um, also you don't overlook. So you would want, uh, either management or an employee that has heard about this as part of a program to say, well, nothing all that bad happened to me. Uh, there could be other things, for example, like divorce or neglect or, or various things that are little. What are your thoughts on, on that? If you have a high A score, you aren't destined to have right. problems per se. There are many mitigating factors, protective factors that will happen. Hopefully, that's where we, we want to get upstream as far as possible. So you may be exposed to divorce, but what kind of supports were around you? What were the, sure. your relationships? So understanding that, um, I think the, the real concern here is that, oh, my gosh, we're going to open up this can of worms and it's going to be this ugly mm -hmm. thing. And it, it really isn't. This is this is our lives. This is not a again, we want to normalize the conversation. We've all been through some really significant things. But what supports did we receive or what supports do we now need? Opening up a can of worms, that phrase resonates with me because I have heard on more than one occasion people that I know that say they do not want to revisit this because it would be too traumatic. Is that a real barrier for people addressing ACEs? Absolutely. Uh, be, again, because there's a mythology and a stigma around the whole thing. And <clears throat> when we uh, give examples, this is why it's so important. There's a wonderful documentary called Resilience, the Biology of Stress and the Science of Hope, which I think is something that everyone should see. It helps us understand that when we uh, help people get to the, the, the resources that they need, the people that they need to make change, it changes the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that until we get people educated, to your point, Jim, without the education about what we're really talking about, it keeps this bad information flowing about what, it's a can of worms, it's terrible, it's none of our business. Uh, that's just not the case. What else? should be done. Uh, you, you make the point that just taking ACE, the ACE test in isolation uh, may not be the best thing, but, but, but how, do you get, how do you combine that with advice uh, in the context of a workplace? Just like we understand the function of uh, pan the pancreas and type 2 di diabetes, we understand that your employer, employees are probably having these things happen. And when we understand it that way and just have conversation overall, it's just part of that mission statement. This is part of that caring for the employee. Mm -hmm. You know, an HR director has heard this, they've, they've gone, read the study, uh, and they're gonna bring this to their workplace. Um, how do they first 
have open conversations in what order, in what style about ACEs? How does that make its way into the into the workforce? And you know, what what might that look like in a real world setting? Uh, that employer groups that have an EAP as an adjunctive service bring those people in for conversation so that they get the understanding of how to communicate this in an effective way. It's trauma-informed communication. And so I think you want to bring in your subject matter experts to have the conversation. How committed is the employer group to really um, having these conversations if they're going to go ahead and push it out to their employees. I think a lot of back-end work needs to happen first to see really is the company ready to make some of these movements, but utilizing EAP and all their wellness vendors, if you will, in tandem so that, that we have a united conversation and messaging that goes out about how this, how this is, why we care, and what you can do about it. Again, never a, an isolated event. It needs to be a part of how we communicate with our employees about wellness. It's a why we care message. At this point, this is still um, not made its way to the, the employees yet. I mean, this is strategy and um, HR and other related uh, parties talking about this and being on the same page. Uh, have you seen any obstacles to that? This is, this is a problem with uh, wellness in general any, anyway, is when we don't have uh, the united conversation and commitment from the C-suite to thoroughly uh, have this as a long-term strategy so that it isn't going to be here just for a year after the t pandemic. We're just going to you know hold people up for a little bit because we know they're traumatized. Again, if, if we can get some of the uh, senior leadership to share, not the detail per se, but that, that they have used some of these supports or their families have benefited from some of these supports, it goes such a long way. At what point are employees made aware of ACEs in general and given an um, encouragement or a way to take the ACE test and get help if needed? How, how does that work? Well, the way that we've worked it uh, in San Diego in, through employee wellness is through uh, individual coaching sessions. So that's the intervention where it's uh, first brought to. And, and I will say that I'm working with a large public entity and, and how we've utilized it in a wonderful way is that I have cer a certain amount of sessions with folks and right next to where I sit is the uh, the health the health uh, nurse. So we work in tandem together um, when folks are struggling and then the EAP is right nearby as well. So it's sort of one-stop shopping, if you will. There's no, we want to, to make this as seamless as possible. Uh, that's how it's worked positively so far for me. Have you ever seen any generational lens brought to this? Uh, you know, millennials may have particular challenges as a group, having grown, grown up a certain way, um, boomers, you name it. But what are your thoughts on that? What I do see is a lack of cultural competence in a lot of the wellness initiatives. Cultures consist of a lot of different things. And if we're not addressing how people communicate in each culture, what what works and doesn't work if they're not represented in wellness uh, champions uh, meetings and so on, if they don't have a voice 
within the employer group, then we send out messaging that doesn't resonate at all to your point. I want to ask you about, um, uh, let's just say, call them generational co cohorts, groups of people that uh, maybe have gone through, a large proportion of them have gone through the same type of challenge that may be, you know, sort of um, a, a red flag, if you will, for people that are watching the mental health of their workforce. I have, uh, there are employer groups that are now, especially because of uh, social justice issues coming uh, and social equality coming up this last year, I think we are going to mm -hmm. see a big boom toward opening up that conversation. We have to have better representation. We have to understand our people better in a culturally competent way. What would be your advice to the HR person on how to reach the CEO? I would have them go to the CDC studies and also to that uh, ACEs Too High or ACEs Connected, all the data that they need to have that conversation. Because uh, as you've said many times, both of you have said, it's about the bottom line. The uh, important piece here is, is understanding that there is that relationship between your employees' uh, well-being and obviously how much they're costing you. We want to bring out the strengths in people's employees because they bring them be their best selves to work. So I think that VP of HR just needs to get that information. It's as I said, it is it's well laid out, um, and then understand. And I, I would also bring in again the EAP service there to. I wouldn't just have the VP go in by themselves necessarily. I think it's an important thing to open up uh, during those meetings. You know, you have a yearly uh, review of how the wellness pro program has been going or benefits uh, conversations. This should be part of that conversation, that that yearly conversation about how are uh, are we aligned with benefits and so on. But now I'm the CEO. And uh, you, you've come to me and you've talked to me about this, and I think, you know, this, this makes some sense. And uh, obviously, if we can help people and their families and their lives, that's nice. And uh, there seems to be data that this will help the bottom line. Uh, what as a CEO should I do? I would love to see CEOs um, work with their uh, senior management team. And just share, I'll, I'll just say the public entity that I'm working with now, uh, their senior leadership and the CEO have made videos uh, expressing their desire for people to be well, to utilize resources, and uh, how it's made a difference in their lives. Again, mm -hmm. if, if, we can, if we can lead by example, that would be my support. Yeah. If a, a CEO can get up in front of their employees, whether virtually or in person, and say, you know, I've, I've, I've been educated on this and I've come to realize this is important. And in fact, it's been important in my lives and my family's life. And, and personalize this so that employees can see it. I would think that would go a long way toward reaching the managers and reaching everybody else in the organization to be as supportive as they can. Immeasurable how wonderful that is. I have to say, Jim, and especially right now, the pandemic has got people upside down. We need to be honest about what's happening to each other and that we, we can and will work together to maneuver through this because we now have the tools. 
The trauma from childhood is uh, deeply impactful because it changes the brain. But in adulthood, if you um, are just a person in the world right now, you're having similar feelings, but it's a different sort of conversation in one way, but we're still dealing with trauma. COVID is its own form of trauma, I think. And uh, is there any relationship between what people are going through today and adverse childhood experiences that, that may exacerbate or make worse what already is there? Absolutely. And we're seeing that in domestic violence cases, case reporting and substance abuse case reportings. Um, folks that have untreated uh, ACE score and we are seeing that in ways and it, it's frustrating as a mental health practitioner because we're slow to turn around how we can respond and because we've never dealt with something like this, a pandemic, but people are desperate and they're isolated and that is just a, just not gonna come out well unless we do something very soon. What, what's the prognosis if you get the right care? The prognosis is that you can be freed from the sense of, of failure and shame mm -hmm and have relief, but you will learn how to negotiate through the world. You'll learn problem solving skills. You'll learn stress management techniques. You'll sleep better. Um, definitely it's it, not a cure, but you learn just as I said, with as we would with uh, other chronic diseases, you learn how to manage yourself and it's a lifelong responsibility, but you have a great prognosis because you now understand what you're working with and you will then have the tools and the language to work with. You'll see that people who have uh, gotten the treatment, their diabetes becomes is under can be un, under control and managed. Depression has been reduced and manageable, and so on. So we want to give people quality of life, and it is possible. On that positive note, I believe that concludes our 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 interview today. Uh, Diana, thank you so much. You've been listening to Returns on Wellbeing Institute podcast. To learn more about our resources and programs that help employers make employee well-being a bottom-line business strategy, please visit www.returnsonwellbeing.com.